Welcome to the 128 Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy West. Today on the show, a guy born and bred in Canada, America's neighbor. Uh, He is a lot of fun to talk to. He is really into music, and he's had some really great record contracts and some really not good ones, and we'll talk about that. And a lot of great advice if you are an aspiring artist or producer or DJ or whatever it might be. You're going to want to hear what he has to say. Beyond that, he's also working on a new album right now, which you will hopefully hear very soon. And... Just a very kind-hearted, good person. This is Takis. Man, I remember when this all just started, and I'm not joking. I, in my head, I was like, worst case scenario, at least summer's going to be yeah. all good. I was like, worst yeah. case scenario, come June, July, everyone's going to forget about this. We're going to figure it out. And now I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be able to do a show till next summer. That's, yeah. that's kind of how it feels. And it's, it's, yeah. it's been a bizarre year for everybody. It's crazy too. Cause like when I, so when I first, we start for, when we started doing the podcasts, it was in the beginning of COVID and uh for this podcast and then um kaiza was my first guest and on the podcast we talked about like oh yeah so in the fall like out in september way far away from now um you're you're doing a tour and it was like radio city music hall and it was all exciting for her and then like i i think it was even before the podcast aired that it was a weird to like all right that's canceled now that's postponed to 2021 and then and then, yeah, you just like, I, I think in the beginning, everyone's like, oh, like, let's push things to like September. This will blow over by then. And then things kept going and going. This, this taught me about how fickle our optimism to pessimism goes, because I was so optimistic about everything. And now I'm like, mm, maybe next summer festival yeah. <laughs> will be available. It's, uh, it's a fickle, fickle situation, but hopefully it makes us mentally stronger. That's my goal. Yeah, I think I think it depends on the person. Like, how you how have you been holding up? Like, uh, before when I saw you on video here, you, I, you had a looks like you were at home with like a cool setup. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, personally, I my biggest concern for others is I feel like people my age there's a serious mental health problem that might be looming, and it might it might actually have some very serious effects long term. Selfishly. Um, in terms of music, I just, I thrive off of in-person collaboration. I thrive off the energy. I love telling stories when I'm in the studio. It's like therapy. And even, um, on this podcast, like we're going to have a ton of fun, but I know if we were in the same room, the vibes would just be. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it creatively, I, it it has been an incredible challenge, but it's been challenging. I'm sure for everyone. Yeah. And that's the thing too. I I think. You know, I so this podcast in general was like sort of came from years ago when I would I would, you know, do radio shows and people would come into to the studio and we would talk for like 15 minutes and that would need to be trimmed down to like a, you know, 60 second break. So we don't slow mm-hmm. the music down. And then it would, and, and I said, I was like, you know, we've been wanting to I've been wanting to do this for a long time just because it's really it's fun. And it's like, I, I, I had more engaging, fun conversations with people outside of the interviews, just like chilling and in person. But ironically enough, when we started doing this during quarantine, it, it seemed like everyone was kind of in that place where it's like, 
yeah, I'm just happy to talk to someone and you, everyone has this like creative just juice. They want to, this sounds gross, but they just wanted to like, yeah, it needs to go somewhere, right? It's got to just kind of, of course. and so even just like sitting back and, and talking, you know, like this becomes an outlet for something that everyone's kind of missing right now. But yeah, to your point, like uh, the, the, and I also think, and I've talked to, I think I was talking to Sander uh, Kleinenberg and mm-hmm. about the fact that like, EDM and there's like sort of a connection positively to like mental health and how people kind of gravitate towards it. And I, I, my, my thought behind it was just because it's, I said, there's, there's never a sad EDM song. There's never a sad dance song. It's always positive and uplifting. You know, I used to, um, when I first started DJing, I was a hip hop DJ at local clubs. And the reason I fell in love with dance music, I didn't know much about it as a kid. I was 18 years old, just DJing. It was hip hop, hip hop, hip hop. And I just thought because that was my worldview as a young DJ, um, that aggressive music and people are a little more tense and people aren't as friendly. I thought that was just what nightlife was because that was my first time being allowed in a nightclub DJ. And I went to a music festival when I was like 19 and it was... It was just, I couldn't believe the positive energy that a dance music festival or what dance music brings compared to like these hip hop shows where I'd be kind of like anxious. If I played like DMX party up, I would like be hanging down till there would be like a fight in the back, you know? Yeah. So, so the, the undeniably, um, dance music creates, uh, a sense of community and, and, and just, just a different energy than other genres. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know, and it's really funny because I, I I've said like going to festivals and and seeing all the stuff in person and being a part of it is is so uplifting, and um, I, I think I always go back to like um, I know everyone has their favorites and everyone's different. For me, EDC Vegas, and I think the reason I've thrown it off there is always it it feels like it's another world because like the way it's overnight and totally, but surrounded by you know thousands upon thousands of people all just being positive and and just you know feeling a little bit free it's it's really uplifting and to be a part of that and i think that's the tough part right now is that you know especially young kids don't have that outlet right now and i think that's the tough part of course yeah and even even uh, as a as a dj that produces you well previously you go out you play songs and based on live reactions what you see in someone's face what what happens with the crowd tells you if that demo is gonna work tells you if this song is special so you kind of uh you come in a little more blind and you have to really kind of trust yourself um because testing out a record was that's your test group right there you play an unreleased song and if the crowd if the crowd if the crowd's like what is this yeah or if the crowd immediately feels it um that's that's your test group yeah we've lost our test group now we need to trust ourselves we better (laughs) trust our friends our managers our a and r's because now we we don't get that instant feedback before releasing a track um on on streaming sites yeah, I was going to say, it's got to feel good to like do a festival and then wake up the next day and go to like Reddit and have people be like, does anyone know what this idea is? Like, it's, what is this? And then... Uh, that's the goal. And if no one does that, <laughs> you, if if nobody is asking about that song and nobody posted it on their Instagram story, yeah. you got to get a little, yikes. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. Let's go back to the studio and tweak this one. 
Yeah. How are you how are you coping with um with it in general though? I mean, I, I know everyone's sort of pivoted. I know a lot of companies are doing those the virtual festivals. Are you enjoying that stuff? Uh it, it's still strange and I think everyone's still uh, adapting to it in their in their own way. For me, I'm I, my biggest struggle like I said and you hear this cliche all the time, but a studio session is almost like therapy because you get in there Everybody is telling that, telling a different story. Everyone's saying where they're at personally, mentally, emotionally. And if one person's story, whether it's a, a songwriter or a co-producer, if that story connects with everyone, then we can make a song. So my biggest struggle is working on records on like FaceTime or even worse, email. Yeah. When you're working on re- collaborating <laughs> on records via Gmail, yeah. um, it kind of it kind of loses something, and it, it it doesn't feel as special. But but hopefully, you know, I could adjust to that, and I'm sure we're all gonna have to. Yeah, yeah, I I know it's and and you know I saw like uh, Izu is obviously not doing their thing this year, and then they pivoted, mm-hmm. and they're like, hey, we're gonna do like a party in like. Mexico next year is like a getaway. It's like it's like having someone having a destination wedding, basically. Mm-hmm. It's like how it kind of feels. Um, and that's the thing too is like you know I've 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 heard from a few different people, even the 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 folks that put on some of these festivals, just talking about like yeah, like obviously like from a business standpoint, it's cheaper, right? It, it like you could just do that, and um, but to I and I think a lot of the people realize like yeah, but you're not getting that energy, and and that's the part that kind of impacts everyone the most and to your point like you're not getting that real-time reaction from a crowd and and you know as you're as you're playing tracks and there's a lot of pieces missing there you know it's this is good for now but permanently (laughs) or like like my favorite thing about you know seeing some of my favorite djs at major festivals is let's say like like a tiesto or martin garrix i've heard their hits on spotify a hundred times when I'm on the treadmill, I'm listening to it. But when I see them play it live, they're playing their hit, and yeah. everyone, it's like, it's just such a special moment. I, it's never going to be replaced. I thought what Tomorrowland did was a beautiful and incredible with all the, all the green screens, yeah. but it, it's just never um, going to be the same. But on the plus side, trying to be an optimist in yeah. this clearly, maybe in 2021, when things open back up, we're not going to take local festivals for granted anymore. Yeah. We're not going to take these. When an artist comes to your city, you're not going to take it for granted anymore. So maybe this slight withdrawal for a year is going to lead to us to appreciate the, these moments and be hungry again for yeah. these shows and not be so cynical when a when a track list comes out or, or, or when a, a lineup comes out. We're going to yeah. be excited and we're going to be open and uh it's the energy for like that first like EDC or that first ultra in person next yeah. year, hopefully is going to be legendary. Yeah. And it got, I remember it was just a couple of years ago. It got to a point where um, like uh, I'm in, I'm in New York and, and I was it, was it called Tomorrowland? I remember they tried to do like Tomorrowland USA. I think I got that right. Um, sure. and, and in like upstate New York. And I think that was like the epitome of like, oh, right. like it, it, the market got so saturated, like in New York, in the course of a single weekend, you had two competing EDM festivals, mm. um, three, if you count the entire summer, cause you had like, you know, uh, EDC New York and then you had Izu and then you had Tomorrowland USA 
all within like the immediate kind of New York area. Mm-hmm. And then Tomorrowland USA was like, yeah, we, we got to cancel this year. Like they just didn't do ticket sales. And then e, uh, EDC New York was like, yeah, we've done it enough. But like, you know, there there's already a few festivals. There's already EZU and then like other things like Gov, GovBall that are kind of competing. So they just bounced. And so you had this kind of like peak and it was just a couple of years ago. But now to your point, I feel like everyone is so amped to like, they miss it. Like you, you, the heart grows fonder, right? Like that whole, totally. that whole thing. Um, uh, you know, and, and then I guess aside from that, like, what have you, have you, is there anything you've kind of picked out that you've decided like, Oh, that's, that's the thing I really miss. I can't wait to get back to aside from the general of it. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously the basics live shows matter a lot. Um, being in studio matters a lot to me and, and even things like this, doing podcasts and doing radio press. I really, I, I value meeting like uh, radio DJs or program directors. I, I feel like they feel a different energy for me and they they hear the song differently when I'm in person explaining it to them, explaining the story. So those are things that um, I I obviously miss, but we, we all do and we're all kind of coping with it in our own way. Yeah, I know. And I know there'll, there'll be like, there'll be a twist, like nothing, nothing will ever go back or I mean, you know. It, it feels weird to say that. I think that's what it is. It's like shot. It's like nothing will ever be exactly the way it was before, but it'll get back to a closer normal or a new normal. I know I'm, that I'm sounds cliche. I'm I'm curious to see because obviously the big players in music festivals are going to be come back probably stronger than ever. There's going to be more excitement than ever. But I am a, a little maybe concerned about some of the more local festivals, the independent festivals. Um, what they're going to do, if they're going to be able to come back, if they're going to have that luxury of excitement. Um, being from Canada, each kind of city and province, they only get maybe one or two festivals every summer. Um, and those are all, almost all of them are independent, um, local promoters, local investors. So I really hope that not just the strong survive, that some of these very important local festivals, especially uh, in Canada and across the U.S., can still keep it together, can still try again in 2021. I hope it didn't wipe out um, those as well, because those are very important. Obviously, the legacy ones matter to us as DJs. We're super yeah. excited to play <laughs> them. But these local festivals matter. And there yeah. there are cities that care about dance music that just don't get the acts um that other people get. Um, I, I'm born in a place called Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Yeah. Um, the middle of Canada. It's not a big place. And we get, we used to, well, I don't live there anymore, but when I did, we used to get one festival every summer. It was a, a independent promoter. It was a, a relatively small festival, a couple thousand people, but it was a huge deal for that dance music community. And I really would would hate to see the local and the small guys get wiped out over that. So that's probably yeah. my biggest fear because we all know the legacy festivals, those guys are just going to keep thriving, especially next year. People are going to be excited. Yeah, I was going to ask that too. Um, it's... You are from Canada, uh, yes. But are you are you in the in the states right now? Where where, where are you holding so up? So right now I'm in British Columbia, Canada. Oh wow, okay. Um, uh, yeah. So recently I I moved here for a kind of a change of scenery. I yeah. wish I, I wish we were on camera right now. I'd show you like <laughs> there's like a mountain right outside. It's just it's just exactly where I wanted to be um, for this year. And thankfully I came out here. Uh, and I could just go for a hike when I'm when I'm stressed out, and when everyone's yeah. kind of cooped up, I have uh, a beautiful scenery. 
Um, but yeah, I'm I'm based in uh, BC right now. I'm moving to Toronto as soon as it's safe. Oh, I love um, Toronto. I love it. I lived there for a while, and I'm excited to be back as soon as uh, as soon as things are a little more calm over there. <laughs> well, I was gonna say, I was gonna say because I mean, I feel like uh, I talked to Artie. Uh, a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and he he went he just left LA went back to Russia that's already um, but everyone is either like hunkered down where they are trying to make the best of it or going back home or moving like they actually are moving moving around I've been, I've been seeing like the one of the main reasons I want to go back to Toronto very soon is because a lot of my LA friends a lot of the LA songwriters that I love to work with a lot of the LA co-producers I love to work with are Canadian. So they're like, Hey, yeah. I'm moving back home. I'm going yeah. back to Toronto. So if, if the one, I guess, you know, kind of benefit from this situation is in Toronto, a lot of the guys that went to LA are moving back home and we can make our own little, yeah. our LA in Toronto. So that's what I'm excited <laughs> about. But a lot of people are moving home, man. I feel yeah. like a lot of people are leaving LA. That's what I've been hearing. Man, it's really funny. I have a lot of love for Toronto and I don't know what it is. It's, it's, it's I will, the best. <laughs> I don't know what it is. And, and I'm from, I'm from New York my whole life. And, uh, but I went to, I've been to Toronto once, which is a really odd, it, not worth getting into, but I was filming a commercial for a Sabra hummus. Very uh-huh. odd. Um, but it was <laughs> at the, the where's this going? <laughs> well, it was, it, no, it was, uh, it was the, um, are you, have you spent time in Toronto? You've you've yeah, spent lived time there yeah. for a while. Okay, do you know there was a there was a festival called the T- Taste of the Dance Fort Festival that happened. No, I'm, not, I, I I'm fe- not familiar. I don't I don't know I don't know anything about it. All I know is I was put on a plane and said here just go there and and like produce a commercial. Um, and it was like the most fun. Like the people are super nice. The city is beautiful. Like it's I, I it's it's what weird. year was it? Oh man, it had to be uh like eight nine years ago at this point. Oh, wow. Because yeah. things have just every year, it just I feel like it just keeps getting better every year. Yeah. There's always so much more. There's uh, every the cool thing about um, Toronto, which I I'm going to be bold to say this for all the Canadian <laughs> listeners, but you know how kind of in the U.S. if you're a creative from a small town, your goal is to go to New York or L.A. That's yeah. kind of like if you're from a small town, it's L.A. or it's New York. If you're from Canada, almost mm-hmm. every small town Canadian, it's yeah. like. RLA is Toronto. Really? So it's this, a lot of like small town um, artists that want to make it. They move to Toronto, they collaborate. So it's super cool because you get like this talent from all over. You'll be in like a songwriting session in the middle of Toronto and there'll be someone from this city and this city and this city and this city. So um, it's like a melting pot and I absolutely love it. The energy is incredible and there's, there's so much talent and there's a lot of dance music talent as well. Yeah. And that, and that's the, so I know for some reason, I don't know what it is. And, and I, and I just know this from my, my, my radio days, I guess I'll put it behind me now. Um, now it's podcasting. Um, but, um, it's weird because like, you know, pop music in the U S right. If you listen to like a pop radio station, it's mm-hmm. pop music. It's going to be like Taylor Swift. And then like, you know, like hip hop to your point from before you go to Canada and it's really a mix of like pop and dance. Like it, it leans more in that direction, which I'm, I love, I'm like, Oh wow. They really appreciate it. You, it's like going to the UK where like BBC radio one will play dance tracks and it's a lot more mainstream there. Where in the U S I feel like 
it's still it's always been this weird kind of more underground thing it's like mm-hmm. you know it's below pop below country below hip-hop it's, it's down there it's like dance music well um, in in canada we have this thing called like uh cancon laws so our radio stations have to play a certain percentage of all canadian artists or all canadian songs so that that is awesome um yeah unfortunately <laughs> we also are competing with like justin bieber the weekend yeah. and drake because those guys are canadian <laughs> um so it, it doesn't help too much but um yeah. i look at a song like um body by loud luxury those yeah. guys are from toronto and they had a number one record on canadian radio right up against all the a-listers and they really proved that canadians and top 40 radio in canada mm-hmm. um care about dance music and they're yeah. open to it and so it, it's very diverse, and thankfully, because of those um, Canadian radio laws, they do put on a lot of up-and-coming Canadian artists that get a ton yeah. of love based on Top 40 radio. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Which, by the way, so now I, I have to go back to this. You made a connection. You said, so Toronto is the LA of Canada. Yeah. What does that mean? I, that's how I say it. <laughs> so Quebec, what's, is, what's Quebec in that, in that oh. analogy? Well, I've been to Montreal once um, because I I played a show out there. I think it was called New City Gas or New Gas City, a really cool venue. Um, I've only been there once, um, so I probably can't comment on that. But um, (laughs) from my experience, I I just know a lot of creatives um, go go to Toronto to work and and to to build. And now especially I'm seeing a lot of former Toronto artists come back from moving yeah. to New York and LA um, with COVID. So Toronto's only getting hotter. Yeah. Well, I, I have a, I have a fondness in my heart in general for Canada. And then I also like people have told me, like, I, I, you know, I always throw out there like, Oh yeah, I love Toronto. I think it's a beautiful city mm-hmm. and I think it's a, it's a really great city. And, um, and they're like, Oh, you have to go to Montreal. You have to try Montreal. That's a, that's even like, like it's, it's more, whereas Toronto is a little bit more modern, Montreal mm-hmm. has like this kind of classical. Yeah, they have to like it. they're called like uh, heritage buildings. Yeah, so they they keep up these buildings from like a hundred years ago, and they have these beautiful streets in the middle of downtown. Like nothing's polished; it's just brick. Yeah, and it looks beautiful. Um, but Canada's awesome, man. I'm telling you, yeah. I know, I know, I'm biased, but no, but no. Canada. And then during quarantine, I got my. And I don't know if I don't know if you'll know this. I I can't just assume you know everything Canadian. Um. But I started watching Letterkenny. I'm not familiar with that. Oh, it's so it's and it's weird for me. So I, I best way to describe it, and I and I don't want to butcher it for anyone that might hear this and then uh, disagree. But it's essentially like it's a TV show about country Canadians, I guess. Okay. So okay. it's like our version of the South is like whatever the equivalent is for for Canada. Um, but it's a really smart comedy. Um, and okay. I started getting into that and then I have to like sit there and like turn the captions on cause they're talking so quick and it's a lot of inside Montreal or not Montreal Canadian yeah. like language slang. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't know what that means. Um, well the, I guess the, the South or, or that, that yeah. kind of like concept would be like the prairies and that's where I'm from. Yeah. Like the middle of Canada is the prairies. It's like Manitoba, Saskatchewan, yeah. a bit of Alberta. That's what, it, you know, we call the prairies. There's no mountains. There's not yeah. a lot of big buildings. <laughs> um, but everyone's really friendly. But also, yeah. the weather's just brutal in the prairies. Just brutal. like cold. Like oh, it's 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 insane. Where I'm from, yeah, it 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 gets really really intense. That's why um, 
even during quarantine, like I'm in BC right now. And a lot of people ask me like what I've been doing. And every day I try to go for a hike. I try to go outside and coming from Canada, we just value our summers so different. Like we know that we're going to have nine months of the most bitter, dark weather. So we better spend two, three months, go on our hikes, go on a boat, go for a jog, go in the sun. So we just, we just value our summers on like a totally different level. And when I spend time in LA, I'll just, I'll be like cooped up in the dark for like eight days and not see anybody because every day is perfect out there. I don't need to walk anywhere, call DoorDash, call Uber Eats. I'm not leaving, leaving a dark basement. (laughs) because it's LA. It's going to be beautiful whenever I walk outside, you know? Yeah. Well, and now I feel like just based on those descriptions, uh, I I feel like I need to introduce you to this show and I really hope you just try it. Just watch an episode and tell me if I'm crazy or not. uh, No, I'm into it. I'll send you you a tweet once (laughs) in a while. (laughs) Well, that's the other thing too is like I'm so interested in like Canadian culture in general to me. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason I'm so interested in it too is like we're not that far away, right? We're just like just a couple miles. It's like just a border, but there's like such different culture in Canada and and I also feel like all right, I feel like it's America is just like, oh no, we're our our culture here is the one that's the real one or something because we're American and we people just discount Canada. I'm like, no, like Canada is really interesting. Like Canadian TV shows and music and and just art in general and entertainment is is so interesting to me. I mean, as Canadians, like we have like personally as a Canadian artist, I just have so much pride in Canadian music. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that that CanCon, the Canadian radio law, and to someone maybe five years, no, I'd say 10 years ago, you would say, oh, so they just play a bunch of unknown Canadian artists. Yeah. <laughs> but flash forward to 2020, yeah. CanCon is Drake's hits, The Weeknd's yep. hits, Party Next Door's hits, Justin Bieber's hits. Yeah. And the list goes on and on and on. So I, there's just so much pride, man. Like when you look at a place like Ontario and it's just so much talent and it, how could you not be inspired yeah. when you, you know that there's 10 A-list pop stars that are from Ontario? How could you not yeah. get inspired to get in the studio and try to make a record? 1% oh. is great is what they've made. Yeah, you know, it's the truth. Uh, in general, though, like talking a lot about being in Canada, but do you miss traveling? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah, the, the one thing I'll I'll always say is I, I love Canada. I love spending time and working in Toronto. But all of my best um, sh- live show memories come from the United States. All of um, the best sessions I've ever done come from the United States and collaborating with um, U.S. artists, all the major opportunities I've had. It's it's as a Canadian, I can honestly like USA is like the land of opportunity. It's there's there's so, so much um, to do. There's so many amazing people to meet and your life can change in this industry. I'm going to a place like New York and, and L.A. So it, yeah. it, it's great to be Canadian because everything's so close. You know, I, yeah. I love where I'm at, but also I can take a flight when when that's safe and uh, and, and go to the amazing spots like L.A. and New York. Yeah. Also, I love how we just spent 20 minutes talking about how amazing Canada is. I'm like, yeah. you miss traveling? Like, oh, God, yes, please. I, I don't want to be here right now. <laughs> yeah, this is like my my optimism is, yeah. is talking about how happy I am here. But in the back of my head, my honesty is I also want to leave so bad. Like, please, yeah. please, let's open up the border. Let's open up the border tomorrow. 
Yeah. And that's the thing, too, is like when you are traveling, like what's your do you have like your thing you do in every city or are you just going back to the hotel or do you like checking things out? You know, pre- previously, um, when I, I was touring for shows a lot, it was because when you're when you're like uh, an up and coming DJ, it is not luxurious as yeah. you can imagine. <laughs> it is. We don't get to pick the ideal flights. We just get the cheapest flight with twelve connections, <laughs> and you're traveling for twenty six hours to uh-huh. get like. So, um, yeah, the basically the travel was was kind of it was kind of brutal, but yeah. it's always worth it for that hour two hours when you're on stage. Yeah. Um, so un- unfortunately, I didn't get to to soak in a lot. <laughs> um, historically, uh, doing shows, you kind of show up. Um, yeah. You do your best to to do a an in depth sound check, and I used to. I still I still believe that my sound checks are like the average DJ. They come in, pop in the USB. It's like two minutes, we're good. Me, I, it's almost like a rehearsal. I just want everything yeah. perfect, and yeah. I annoy everybody. Sound guys, like who is this guy? The promoters, like what this guy's this guy's the opener. Why is he spending forty five minutes tinkering with this CDJ? It's fine. Yeah. I'm like, um, so I, I would take a sound check really seriously. Then I would I try to rest, I guess, if I could, and then show, and then the flights in the morning and. Anytime I would talk to the managers or um, agents about, hey, can we like make sure the flights are a little bit less hectic or they'd be like, the budget says you're going to take any flight (laughs) available. And if you sleep for one hour, that's fine. And if you Uh, have 12 connecting flights from Toronto to LA, I don't know how that's uh, possible, but we're going to take that flight, you know? (laughs) Oh man. And and I feel like that's where they're just like, oh, but you can get like work done on the plane because like you just need a laptop to produce. (laughs) Come on. We all know that it's Netflix or it's me yeah. trying to sleep on a flight. <laughs> that is that is it. It is Netflix and it is sleep. On yeah, a- man. I think I think that's also why like doing festivals is is got to be a lot more of a relief too because it's where you get to see a lot more. Like first off, all the people you've been collaborating with are all kind of mm-hmm. coming together. Everyone's just hanging out. It's like a big like party that you guys are just going to like take turns going on stage and and then come and down and like, hang out it's it, it's inspiration and we're sharing yeah. just different vibes like when when i'm doing a one-off show and i'm i'm the only artist on the show it's yeah. it's it's like to be honest it's kind of lonely you know yeah. you could be traveling alone you could be in your room alone you do your show alone you don't really know anyone when when i've played festivals and you're backstage and you're literally like brushing shoulders with your idols you can't help but be inspired yeah. and when i'm watching these guys their sets and i'm i'm just getting so inspired because they have it so dialed in they know exactly when they need to do this for the crowd to do that and they know it's so it, it's just like going to one festival and soaking it in is like years of just experience and knowledge that you could pack yeah. away versus doing a solo one off and uh oh man we're we're going back to just me me yeah. being depressed about not no 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 <laughs> well i mean it's it's a good question this is a i i love knowing this because i feel like it's it i feel like there's always a story behind it but um but also it's always tough to be like oh yeah what's your favorite but do you have like a favorite festival um my favorite festival um for many reasons was i got to play uh i believe it's 2016 edc mexico main stage wow and that what it it was amazing obviously because it was the biggest crowd and it was the biggest stage i ever played and the set went really well and the energy in mexico is amazing and they're beautiful people that show tons of love and support but this is like this is getting a little deep but that was the first moment like coming from a small town 
trying to make music work, trying to see if music can be my career, you always have this immense self-doubt. And before EDC Mexico, I played 10 shows in Vegas. I was was still touring around. I had a deal. Everything kind of seemed great, but there was always still self-doubt. But once I got off stage at EDC Mexico and there was a sea of people, I couldn't see the end of the crowd. And I was, you know, shaking hands with Tiesto and you see, yeah. you see major lays, you see all these, all these people that you grew up, you know, watching on YouTube and, and on Instagram. That was the first moment going back into that green room. I was like emotional because yeah. I said, Oh wow, this is, this, I, this is my career now. Yeah. I, I think, I think music is my career. And that show for, I don't know, many emotional reasons going to that green room and saying, wow, this is this is my life now. This is my career. I think I could do this for the next decade um, is a memory I'll never forget. It was just so validating playing that stage and not just being on the stage. It was I put together a really good set. I was obsessive about how that set would sound and it came off perfectly and the crowd respected it perfectly. And that was the first time I was like, oh, I'm here. I'm yeah. here. I could put on a good show. Yeah. I could be confident on this stage. This is less than just a, an upcoming DJ with a bit of buzz. This is a thing that I can do for the next 10 years. And that's something I'll never forget. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's funny is um, I've spent a bunch of time. It's one name you threw out there. Uh, I've spent a, I've spent a little bit of time. Um, Tiesto. I don't know what it is. And I love that dude. You like he you go to his trailer at a festival has did he like did he ever like have you do like the shots? That's his like whole thing. I, I did not take shots with him, but I for sure would have said yes. Oh, it was great. Like when we'd go in to interview him, he'd be like, you know, everyone comes to our kind of like little setup and and things. And he'd be like, no, you you guys come here. You come here and you go to his trailer and he's like, we do interview. But first shots and then like like they're pouring va- and and it feels like and i said I, I've, I've joked around i'm like i feel like i'm surrounded by like the russian mob like it's like really weird everyone's like i'm like any one of these guys can like tear me in half right now if they wanted to and it's really intimidating but he has that big grin and that big smile and he gets like really excited about it all and uh um and yeah I there's a- like a, yeah I have two stories about Tiesto, one where he shattered my confidence and one when I realized <laughs> that that he was a legend and deserves everything he's had. So this was, I believe it was Beyond Wonderland yeah. in um, Mexico we were playing and I, I got this brand new Adidas tracksuit and I swear I thought... I thought I looked so fresh. I thought yeah. I looked so cool. I was the coolest guy. I got the Adidas shoes, the, the matching tracksuit. I thought I was just looking so cool. Yeah. And I get off stage and Tiesto's behind. And first thing he says to me before I even say, hey, before I introduce myself, he's like, he's like, okay, they're DJ Snake. <laughs> and I was like, no. And I literally ran to the green room and I took off my tracks and I'm like, I'm never wearing this on stage again. And I'm just, I'm wearing all black and no one's going to make fun of me. My idol just told me I look ridiculous. Um, so that one, that one hurt. But on, on like a more serious note about um, Tiesto, I remember coming up and I talk a lot about like my hometown being very small and, and not necessarily having a supportive music scene. 
And I remember like super early coming up, um, just when a few remixes were doing well and I just did a few shows and I would like email demos to like other local artists for their feedback or like, what do you think? Should we collab? And they would like reply in like three weeks if I was lucky. Yeah. And, and a couple months later, I remember, um, Tiesto had played a remix, um, of ours on Club Life and I emailed him, uh, some demos. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating. He emailed back with like detailed feedback in 10 minutes. Oh, and that was the first time I was like, Oh wow. Like, you know, yeah. just cause you know, someone just cause you know, there's, there's other local DJs like yeah. Tiesto's where he is because yeah. he has not forgot about the small guys. Yeah. He understands that up and coming artists matter and their tastemakers. And for him to like send me like a detailed feedback email about what's good and what's bad within 10 minutes just shows that that is someone that is, it deserves the goat status, deserves legendary status because he cares about someone that can never do anything for him in his career. Yeah. Um, and that was a big moment for me realizing why so many people call him the goat, call yeah. him the legend because he has supported probably thousands yeah. of up and coming DJs that can never benefit him in any way, but it'll make your day. And more than just the feedback he gives you, that like validation is like, wow, Tiesto hit me back and said my song's good. Like I'm, yeah. I'm going to keep going. Like we're, yeah. we're going to keep rocking. So yeah, he's forever the goat, man. Yeah. There's a, there's a handful of guys that, um, you know, our Armand is, is definitely mm-hmm. like in, in that suite of, of like guys in this industry that I've seen, you know, take people under, under their wings or, um, or just amplify smaller voices. And I think that's really noble. I, and because I think it also takes a lot of confidence in themselves of being like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, I know who I am. I know what I am. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm confident and I'm fine. Like, you know, uplifting others isn't going to hurt me somehow. And I think when in general, music industry and entertainment industry by that, for that matter, I think a lot of people like lack that confidence that if I lift up this other smaller voice, that's going to somehow reduce my voice and it's going to hurt me so backwards. Like, yeah, I've, I've never, um, I don't think I've ever told this story and I hope he remembers it, but, um, back several years ago, um, I did a few remixes for, um, the chain smokers and, and some ended up, you know, just being bootlegs and, there was always an email exchange there. And I remember one time uh, I was signing my first deal and I was a little nervous about it. And I I had like a local lawyer that didn't, wasn't an entertainment lawyer at all. He's probably like a divorce lawyer. He's just (laughs) trying to like decide, trying to decipher like a 75 page record deal. And I just on a whim, because I was very anxious about signing a deal, I I, I sent him an email um, saying, Hey, I just, what advice would you give for a first deal? I know you're busy. Don't hit me back. I know like, and I, he's like, this is my WhatsApp. Here's my FaceTime. And we jumped on like a 10 minute FaceTime where he's like, I don't think you should do this. This is probably a better move for, for nothing as well. So like there's certain guys where, you know, that they'll be kind of like criticized in the, the, the pop culture community because they're so big. But yeah. if you know these people, you're like, oh, I get why they're there. Yeah. I get why they're so supported. I get why yeah. every DJ plays their, their records and wants to remix their stuff because they care about a yeah. generation that really, to, to be honest, like what can, what could I have done for either of those guys? Like I didn't yeah. have a hot record. I didn't have a top line they wanted. They just yeah. were like, you know what? You're a kid. Yeah. I remember being in that position. Don't do this, do this. Call me if you have any problems. Good luck. Yeah. Um, and I'll always just respect those guys for that, man. 
Yeah. Was that was that Alex or Drew? No, that was Alex. Alex, yeah. And, and like I, I love Alex. Um just, just I, the nicest just the nicest guy ever. Like yeah. one of the nicest people in the industry. Yeah. And what's funny too is like I worked with them a lot. I used to produce their uh their show the the youtube no the youtube edm 15 that we did um on on sirius and what's funny too is like they're they they so just kind of don't take every not that they don't take everything seriously they're just constantly just having fun with life and they're just kind of like everything sort of is a joke for the most like out out outwardly um and they'll just find humor in everything but i think that's also why sometimes people like you know we'll look at that and and yeah, there is a serious side to them too, and they're, and they're really, they're allowed to just kind of like have fun with things because you know um, behind the scenes, like when it comes to signing the record deals or mm-hmm. or doing that stuff, like they they know what they're talking about and they're you know they they've been around the block. But in terms of it, that and and the way like Alex is, he's always joking and like Tiesto's always got a big smile on his yeah. face. Of course, when it comes to, on like a serious note, when it comes to like my album I'm working on, my music, I take it very serious because that's my like life purpose. <laughs> like my debut album I'm working on, I'm 25. It took me 25 years to be in the process of making a debut album. I take that dead seriously, but we know the music business. Yeah. <laughs> there is something absurd and unpredictable and insane about the business we're in. And if you can't laugh at it, if yeah. every day you can't brush, if you, if every problem that's come to me, even in the past few months, uh, devastated me, I, I would just wouldn't be in this business. I laugh about a lot. My team knows I'm making jokes about things I shouldn't be making yeah. jokes about, <laughs> but it's, it's the only way to stay optimistic. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, my last single wait for me, we were hoping to put it out right when COVID hit. And, and the only way to deal with that, I wasn't like, oh no, this is so terrible. The world hates me. No, the whole world is, is struggling. My song didn't really matter that much in the grand scheme of things. It's too bad. Let's laugh it off and let's find a new date. Um, so, so that kind of humor, which maybe is what turn some people off to to the chain smokers or people like that it's the only way to maintain optimism and a happy energy this is a a truly kind of hilarious industry there's so many ups and downs there's so many shocking moments that no one could predict that if you are not willing to laugh at yourself then you're in trouble and if you take yourself too seriously like who 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 likes that like i make music I make music. I am not on. I'm not on the the World Health Organization giving you guys a COVID cure. I I just make music. I'm gonna not yeah. take myself that seriously. You know what I mean. So being able to brush it off and laugh is it's it's crucial for your mental health and just to to keep going in this kind of crazy biz. What's funny to me is I I also think that and I've said this before like when um you know diplo did that show on on vice like what would diplo do i even i I even said i was like it's kind of tough because you're sort of parodying like an industry like specifically dance music i was like we don't nobody really takes themselves that seriously here there were there were some here and there but like i've worked in pop music and they they take themselves very seriously it is a business and there is a lot to parody there but when you know, why do you pe- think that is? Why why do you think why do you think pop artists of all people yeah. take themselves that seriously? Why, I why mean, do you think that is? I mean, this I don't. I well, I should I should say I know why because I've also I've had this conversation too with 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 some other other 
people on this podcast talking about how I've seen EDM producers go like cross over or get pulled in by a label that wants to cross them over. And then they just go, I don't know what to do with you because we don't know how this works. And then they just put them into a record contract. They disappear for about a year and a half, two years, and then they come out the other side, you know, just disenfranchised by everything. It's wait, a, are you talking about my first deal? Who told <laughs> you about my... Who t- wait, did someone send you the contract to my first deal? <laughs> that is... You have any idea how many stories I have of that, of people like... Uh, it, that like I... When I was on Hits 1 on Sirius XM, I was like, oh, I remember you coming in. And then I worked in, you know, BPM and I worked in the dance music and I'm like, oh, yeah, no, we know, we, you know, we know each other from there. And then... I'm talking to the same record reps and they're just like, oh yeah, we signed him, but we don't know what to do with him. Yeah. Um, and, and I just watched them as like, they get disenfranchised because everything they submit, they're like, yeah, but it's, can you like do a collab with like a country artist and like, you know, like that for like, cause you know, that, uh, Avicii did that, you know, seven years ago. And that was, that was a hit on a uh, crossover on pop. So that's what we're looking for again for the 17th time yeah um like an a like an a and r when they yeah. their standard line was can we get something a little more like closer i was like closer <laughs> how many well it's 2020 yeah we're just looking for a little more like closer yeah like, what the story is about the story is about i'm depressed i wrote yeah. i wrote a whole album a dark album you said closer yeah, it's really funny. And that's the one thing I got to say has really been refreshing about this podcast before I before I actually answer your question is and it's funny because it's also with it seems to be with the Canadian artists. Um, I've had a, I've had people come on here. I think Kaiza was the most brutal about like her experience with the label system, um, the labels that she dealt with, at least of like mm-hmm. dealing with them and like them just being like, yeah, we don't like that. And then it being this weird world of like artist who wants to produce music and and art and then also like a system that's like yeah but we're here for the business end of things and it's strictly business and there's no compromise whatsoever but to answer your question i think that's just it it's a lot more produced i i said any of the artists i work with when i was when i worked in in pop i don't i don't have a single person's phone number i don't i don't talk to anybody i've never um the closest I got was like when Cash Cash did like Take Me Home and that came up through Pop. Like me and JP will text every now and then. And mm-hmm. so and, and and you know, we knew each other from there. Then I went over to to dance music and then, you know, everyone is like doing their own thing. It's a lot more personable where pop is a lot more business, it's a lot more of a machine, it's a lot more um I had stories and and you can connect the dots as to who I'm talking about, but I remember doing a meet and greet or like at that, the station, like doing a, have a meet and greet with like a very popular pop artist and all the fans lining up. And I watched as like, it was, it was like a machine. It was like, you know, a person would walk up and pop artists would say like, Oh, I love your glasses. And then they would be like, Oh, well, she loves my glasses. And then they take a picture and walk off. And the next person's like, Oh, I love your t-shirt. It's like, Oh, so you're just like, Find something on the person or of the person to compliment, take picture, rinse and repeat. And that was just the machine. And I was like, oh, that's that's and it just made me feel dirty. It just made me feel like, oh, this is this is a gross. It almost reminds me of um, when you're talking about like that type of pop artist. It almost sounds like you're talking about a political campaign. Yeah. It's literally like it's it's very serious. It's yeah. very analytical, and that's just something that um, it doesn't seem fun. No. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it has some great moments, but that's not. Uh, I, I think why a lot of dance music artists get into it. It's it's yeah. not to be a political candidate. It's to make songs because you have to make songs. 
Yeah. And I think that's the difference is and it goes back to like what we started talking about earlier is for you, the excitement and the big payoff is doing the big festivals and playing to the crowd and feeling those reactions. But from the business side of dance music, it's that is the same thing, right? So you're, it feels like almost like, you know, selling albums and, and selling tracks and, but like playing the festivals, like that is in alignment with what the expectation from the actual labels that deal in strictly dance music, um, like, you know, shout out Armada, like they expect. So they're not expecting you to go cross over and then, you know, have your song get picked up as a track for a commercial for Honda. Like, that's not their expectation for what's required. It's just sort of like, you know, that stuff might happen and that stuff, they try for that, but that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal isn't to work with you and figure out, well, what's your personality? And let's, let's make sure that we, you know, uh, <laughs> you like who, what people think of you is all manufactured and, and it's a clean, you know, whistle, like clean as a whistle. Like we don't want any, anyone to have, you can't say this because then this demo might not like you. And then that'll lead to that. Like it's just, Produce good music, <laughs> like put it out there, promote it as best you can, do, you know, do releases, do festivals, do shows. Yeah, and that's it's, your it's just a totally different mindset. Yeah. Um, and, and also they don't put so much pressure on singles. Like yeah. they, you put out a song, if you're proud of it, we package it up the best way we can. We promote it the best way we can. And if people like it, they like it. Great. Yeah. And then we see, we'll, we'll reevaluate in 30 days to see what people like. Yeah. In pop music and in my history um, with a major label previously, there is so much emphasis that if you could sign a, an album deal and if your first single doesn't perform, mm -hmm. it's like the end of the world. It's yeah. like you're not going to get a reply to an email. You're not going to be no one showing up to board meetings anymore. Yeah. Um, there's just so much pressure on the on a single versus working with our mod where they're like, hey, you like this record? Let's put it out. If yeah. people like it, let it go hard. If people don't like it, guess what? You have 10 other songs that we like, put them out. And also even just like my A&R over at Armada is awesome. He's just yeah. like, what are you feeling? What does this song mean to you? Cool. Let's drop it. If you're proud of it, totally different mentality. Yeah. I think that's but the also thing. Armada proved that they can also make pop hits. Like we yeah. have like body was a pop hit and yeah. this is what it feels like. And we see lost frequencies have a huge records in yeah. Europe. So as much as Armada is just a, a cool dance label, that's very flexible with me. They have also figured out how to produce hit records kind of organically too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, you know, th there are people I've come, I, I shouldn't probably say this, but I'll say it anyway. But like, <laughs> let's go, you know, but like Maddion, right? I love that dude, right? I, he is one of my favorites. Loved Brilliant. him for a long time. Um, and I remember when like the label picked him up, they're just like, yeah, we don't really know what to do because they weren't experienced mm -hmm. in that. And I'm, and it makes me so happy to see him still with the label but coming out the other side putting out some like really fun uplifting good music and i think that's like the best potential story of that situation is like coming out the other side and and you know but i've also seen the opposite and and i've seen and i also think columbia is a little bit better like you know the mm -hmm. <laughs> little backpedal but like i think columbia <laughs> Like, might maybe they'll try a little bit harder. Yeah, I guess I guess it's not fair to have a blanket statement about all majors, but I'm yeah. sure every office um, just treats their artists differently and has different goals and and different understanding for how the dance music world works. Like, yeah, you to to make a dance hit in my eyes 
at first and foremost, you need DJ support. You need other DJs to care about your record and play your record. And then you need dance music fans, people yeah. that are pre buying the pre-sale for EDC and Ultra, those people to like it. And maybe it'll trickle up to pop. Maybe it'll trickle up to radio. Yeah. But that's that's you need to get the respect of the community first. And I think a lot of majors just don't understand that. Maybe they haven't um, picked the right hires for people that have been in dance music, but they're just totally different um, worlds. And if they don't have a team that understands the world, what's like what positive outcome is going to happen? Probably none. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, you know, that's the thing. And I, and I hope, you know, to your point, like obviously you're over at Armada now who, Mm -hmm. who respect what you're doing and have a much better process in that. Um, and that's the thing. It's like, how do you, how do you tell, you know, go back in time and tell like your younger self or whoever the version of your younger self is now out in the world of like, Hey, like this is what you should be looking for, and this is what you know. Um, I I, th- I think it all comes with maturity and experience, and like like we were joking before, if you're able to laugh and be light and be optimistic about the future, you can look at what are perceived failures and just laugh them off and say, "Wow, I learned a lot. That was a crazy ride. I probably shouldn't have signed that deal, but guess what? I still have faith in my music. I have faith in my story, and I know I'm going to figure it out." But, you know, I, you know, like I've, I've said a hundred times, I come from a relatively small town without a music industry. There was no mentor that has signed a major deal. You know, my, my family is not from musical background. They couldn't give me advice. Like I said, my first lawyer was, I'm not even joking, was probably a divorce lawyer that didn't know how to read a contract. And when you get an offer from a major label at the age of 20, 21, and I'm like late on my rent and I had to sell my car and yeah. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get food next week. And you have this huge advance. All you have to do is sign here. You're going to do it every single time. And and I was not only immature, I was just in a really tough situation from where I came from. Um, but then once that ended and I started working on this new album and I had the, the big single and I had a whole project done, I was able to be a lot more patient and uh, build a, a short-term partnership with Armada on some really great terms and learn what it means to hire an entertainment lawyer. That's yeah. something that I probably should have known a long time ago and what certain terms mean in a contract and what things I'm not comfortable with. It comes with um, maturity. But if that first situation I was in, I signed it out of desperation as a young, broke kid that didn't know what to do with his life. But if that situation broke me and made me cynical and made me say, this industry is a scam, instead I could say, well, that was ridiculous. I was ridiculous. I shouldn't have hired a a local divorce attorney (laughs) to negotiate my contract. And I could laugh at myself and my own absurdity and just being desperate to to kind of like pay my rent. Like the idea of signing a multi-album deal to a major just because I'm scared I can't pay my rent next month yeah. seems like a, a short-sighted concept. But I'm able to laugh at myself because I was a 21-year-old kid just trying to make it in the music biz. Yeah. And I learned a lot. And now yeah. that's behind me. And now I have an amazing deal with an amazing partner. And uh, it's on my terms this time. And if if I wasn't able to laugh at myself, I you, we wouldn't be doing this podcast because I would have yeah. quit music entirely, and I would have been on on forums angry talking about how the music business is a scam. Uh, <laughs> I had ten reasons the music business is a scam on my blog that gets six clicks. 
Uh, I also I can't I can't help but just keep thinking about the lawyer and I'm just like imagining him like, you know, uh, coming back to you and be like, I couldn't do anything about the royalty payments, but uh, you get to keep the dog. Like, what are you yeah, talking about? Like, yeah. He's like, she wants the couch. Yeah. Like, wait, <laughs> wait. <laughs> oh, wait, who am I talking to? Oh, wrong client. Oh, yeah. Uh, wait, I don't know what this they're, is. they're keeping 50 percent of my merch and touring. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. Don't worry. That's how standard divorce. It's 50-50. Okay. okay. Yeah. 50-50. Get, let them keep 50% yeah. of touring. Label calls you and you're like, listen, we're good to sign the contract, but your lawyer wants a prenup? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but that's what it is. You know, you come from a small town, you don't have mentors. And eventually, once I started, you know, like I said, an email conversation with Tiesto, that opened my eyes. And, and listening to podcasts like yours and hearing artists tell these stories, hopefully some kids listening to this, yeah. that's five years younger than me, that says, oh, oh, wow. So even if I've made mistakes, I could laugh about them or, hey, hey maybe I shouldn't make that mistake. Yeah. But also like coming from a place like New York and LA or Toronto, you probably have seen people that have made it and you've yeah. probably heard stories like where I come from. I, I just didn't know a single person yeah. that said music was a real job. I yeah. just, I didn't know a single person that signed a record deal. I didn't, I didn't have access to, to those resources and I was young and I was desperate, but, but thankfully you could laugh it off and learn. And now I, I, I know my way around a contract better than yeah. that lawyer. I was going to say, I was going to say, you got to, you got to pull one out. Like if, if you have one piece of advice, like what's, whether it's what Drew gave you originally or, or like what you learned, like what's, what's the thing to look out for? Well, well back, uh, most important thing would be to try to do the shortest term deal you can do. And if you have a short term deal and everything works out great and the team loves you and, and it was a perfect relationship, no, no sweat. Let's just extend it. So first, most important thing is do a short term deal. Don't do a multi album deal if you don't have to. Um, hopefully, you know, don't, don't give up any of your touring. If you're a DJ, that's a pretty big deal, but you know, it's a short term deal and we just test the waters and, you know, I, I have a, a, a deal here with Armada I'm really excited about um, a year or two. And I think we're going to we're going to keep re-signing because we have an amazing relationship. But if not, it's a short term deal. I'm not locked in for 10 years. Yeah. Um, so the shorter deal, the better. And that was honestly what uh, advice Alex gave me. He said, start with a short term deal. And if it works out that you could always extend it and change the terms. But if you have a long term deal, it's over. It's just it's it's over. Yeah, it's a good point, because like. And also, like, just going back to, like, what we were talking about, like, just, like, confidence in general is, like, if if you if you sign a short-term deal, if the label's happy and you're happy, you guys are going to extend. 100%. If, if they're not happy, I think that's the part that I think you, you probably fear is, like, mm -hmm. oh, if I only do a short-term deal and they're not happy with me after a year and I don't want to get cut off and I'm going to just get, you know, but it might be better. Like that's the thing too, is you kind of have to go through that sometimes, but, and that's, I guess that's the scary part, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's really good piece of advice too. And it, it also comes down to the confidence in your music. When I signed my first deal, which was a, a very poor deal, it was because I wasn't overly confident in my music. I, I didn't have a lot of reference to success just because I had a couple of viral songs and DJs who were playing my remixes. I didn't know if I could make my own hit song. I didn't know if I could make originals that people were going to care about. So my own insecurity was why, well, let's sign this deal. Maybe they can figure it out. Maybe they'll get yeah. top lines that are great versus this situation where if it works out and we extend, that's awesome. If not, I'm incredibly confident because if 
any label, um, I believe, and this is this is going to sound confident, but as an artist, you should be. I believe any label that had access to a couple folders on my hard drive would know exactly where we're going and believe in several records. So it's just confidence in the music, and that took time for me. Yeah, yeah, um, dude, it's it's um, I'm glad you got, I'm glad you went through that ride. <laughs> Unfortunately, the unfortunate part of the ride to get you here because, um. It's, it's, I mean, it's easier now, obviously, but like it, yeah, it's, I, I definitely skipped the part about living on a couch and not having a cell phone <laughs> and needing Starbucks Wi Fi to communicate. I definitely skipped that year in this story, but yeah. we're past that now. <laughs> you know, I'm on, I'm on extra fast Wi Fi right now. I promise you, <laughs> but you not Starbucks. <laughs> but that's the thing is like, so I think that's also why. It's also why you probably appreciate all of this a lot more and you won't take it for granted is you've you've been down the the other path. And I and I think that's the thing that, you know, if if some kid comes out at 18 and, and does a deal and has money and starts blowing it on cars mm-hmm. and a house in L.A. And, and just, you know, living the life and then they blame the label because everything kind of, you know, goes to hell. Um there's no appreciation there. And it's just like, Oh, I, I made it. And then I didn't. And then it's over. Um, and, and I mean, there's also like a, a level of self-responsibility. We hear all the time, these stories about artists saying the label did this label did that. But the truth is I was in a, a, a really bad situation in a small town and a label said, here's a contract and they didn't force me to sign it. Yeah. And I could have negotiated it better. So there's a level of just immaturity and responsibility on my part where I clearly wasn't ready to make a good decision at that time. So as much as uh, the the standard artist way is to blame the label, I, you got to put some emphasis on my mistakes and my immaturity because no, I was sure I was 21, but still a 21 year old should be able to read uh, yeah. a little bit more, a little bit more accurately. So, yeah. Um, I've had you for a while, but I, I also just, I had to ask because I, well, I just have to ask, but like, are you doing anything else to keep yourself busy? Like blowing off steam video games, anything like that while you're, uh, while you're home? You know, I, I've been trying to go on hikes. I've been trying to stay active. I feel like that's been, um, something that helps getting sun. Um, I've been trying to communicate and have phone calls with people that I care about, people that I miss, my family. Um, I don't have really any family out here. Um, so, so just trying to stay communicating with people, which I think is a, a very important thing for, for everyone's mental health. But my main focus right now is, is the single that I've been pushing and I'm really proud of and I'm excited about and then uh, finishing this album and it's it's uh, it's kind of my like life's work I've been saying it I know that's a very over dramatic artist thing to say but yeah it took me 25 years to to have an album and it's nearly done and I've been I've been honestly like obsessed with it it's yeah. it's something that I've been super dialed in so I haven't been doing much but really think about the album and aside from obviously um production and and the things you expect from an album i'm thinking about what is the album packaging what would a live show look like what would what would my visuals be for the story i could tell how can i tell a story in a live show where i sprinkle in the album cuts but also have bangers so like i think a lot about um just the whole package of making a real project um because that's been my dream man like every every dj like it, it's easy to make a remix it's easy to make a single obviously there's challenges to both of those things but the idea of making like 
an album, a chapter in your life and like tell your story, have like an interlude, have a skit. What's the outro sound like? What are the transitions? These aren't just singles. These are transit. Yeah. And like thinking about all these very intricate things. I've been just like obsessing over this. Um, I, and unfortunately, because, you know, we know the biz, you got to put out a few singles before packaging the full project. Yeah. But I've been honestly just obsessing over, over this album and when it can finally out the timing is everything but i've been i've been really just thinking about innovative ways like even right down to like the merch what's the merch what's the design on the merch what it, yeah what, what is like the packaging of it gonna be what would a poster be for a live show even though we can't even do live shows i'm thinking yeah. about like what the tour poster is what's the tour called yeah um who who would i want to do a, a remix of this how would we shoot the acoustic ver- like i'm really like just obsessing over this project so yeah. i haven't been doing anything fun and i've been aside from a hike i've just been in a dark room with headphones <laughs> yeah. Typing away. But that's good because you get, I mean, at least you get out of the house and on mm-hmm. a hike, it's kind of you and your brain and you get to kind of be in your own head, which can be a bad thing. But I think also just like, you know, while you're working on something like this, like a big creative project, it probably is um, a little bit liberating and gives you a chance to, mm-hmm. to think it over. Um, you, the, uh, are you already also thinking of videos and stuff? Cause like the, the video for wait for me was really cool. And, I have Thank like you. a love for like the desert and and that Thank kind you. of aesthetic. So, um, so that yeah. video, um, I know I've been talking about being like meticulous and detailed, but that video was me being ridiculous um, yeah. because <laughs> I was I was excited about the final demo for the record last year, and I sent it to a few like creative friends of mine, and I have some friends that are like directors and and cinematographers, and they just called me and they're like, yo this song is all about disconnection and like what about like a Mad Max theme where we just go to the desert and like I got that call on Tuesday and I literally like flew out a crew from Toronto that weekend and (laughs) and we like shot the video that weekend and I came back home and I remember getting like calls from my manager and I didn't tell my manager I was shooting music (laughs) and he literally (laughs) lost his mind (laughs) he like lost his mind but it was like that one was my only kind of like impulsive decision just because I yeah. love the idea of this like Mad Max exaggerating disconnection. Will yeah. someone wait for me? That's kind of like the the story for the yeah. record. But yeah, I, I have been thinking a lot about videos. There are obviously concerns about now getting crew, a big crew. Yeah. You know, last year we had a crew of like 12 to 15 people for wait for me. So doing that now, uh, I, I kind of have some concerns about yeah. it. <laughs> Um, but I have a, a ton of ideas uh, for videos because also as much as, you know, DSPs and, and streaming are the business now, I still have, I, I don't know if this is an old school belief, I still have an old school belief that if you premiere a record with a video, it'll make someone feel something different. I don't yeah. know if it'll be better or worse, but someone will have a different feeling when they're watching yeah. for the first time and listening for the first time. So I do believe in a visual element um, being massively important. Yeah, no, I get that. I, I mainly because it gives you. It, I think when people listen to music, and and especially creative people, they'll come up in their head with a with their own kind of version of what a video for that would look like. Mm-hmm. They kind of want to visualize it, and so as an artist, you're putting it out there like, "Hey, f- to be clear, here's the visual pair to that to that song to that track." Yeah, um, <laughs> creatives always just do weird things. Like I do this one thing. Um, tell me if you do this or tell me if I'm crazy. So either yeah. say yes or I'm crazy. Okay. I do this thing when like an album comes out mm. where I download the album 
and I'll rearrange the entire track list to how I would have done it. Really? <laughs> I literally, like I'll hear an album once through and I'll give them the respect of listening track one to <laughs> 10. But then anytime I re-listen, I'm like, no, this should have been the intro. No, this is definitely track two. This should have been like, so I do this like weird thing and that just kind of like shows how I've been thinking for the past year about my yeah. album, about how important track listing is, how transition should be, how can you tell a story, what's that going to mean? But yeah. yeah, I've been doing this weird thing where I'll like download a random album and I'll totally butcher their track list to what I believe their track list should have been, just like a kind of like a crazy person on Spotify. Yeah, no, I, I, I <laughs> you're not crazy, but I don't do that. But what I was going to say is, I mean, like, like as a you've good example. Never wished, you've never wished for a different track list? <sighs> I mean. You have to have. I've listened to, and and it's weird because like obviously in my world of, of things and trying to like you know uh, m- you know assimilate it like it, there are things I'll listen to and be like oh that could have been tighter like you could have mm-hmm. cleaned that up or you could have been this and 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 even with this podcast right like when I I used to edit this on my own and like to start because I again like you it's just like this is this is mine and I want to make sure it's done right. And I've since have so much other responsibility that I ended up handing it off to to an editor mm-hmm. and uh, who's got to be listening to this thing right now. And it's really hard for me to to like listen to it. And then I need to like record this and then step back and then not hear it again until it's fully produced, um, which is also a bad thing. Like I, I, I probably should like, you know. I want to be able to double check, but I have other people doing that for me because I want to be able to experience it like other people experience yeah. it. I don't want to listen I, to it 17 times and then be too into it and too close to it. I, I go back to podcasts and interviews I recorded years ago and I get to listen to it with like a completely open mind. Like I don't know what I'm going to say next <laughs> so I, I can listen to it as an, as another I, person. I personally relate to that from like just the idea of like demoitis or even when you're sending off a track for a final mix and master when i've listened to demo version 12 for yeah. six months and then i send it off for a final mix and master i have to trust that person i have to trust the creds i have to trust what they've done in their career to know what a good mix and master is and not have that demoitis because i've been listening to the same song for six months so i know what you mean is very tough to to kind of give something up, trust someone, and then it comes yeah. back and it it it's not the same. It doesn't yeah. feel the same, but I'm sure it's better to the general listener. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is I I just I, I think for me, because you're always going to be really critical of your own work. You're you are always going to be your biggest critic. And so how do you get your how do you get yourself to a headspace to to really see the fuller picture and not be so mm-hmm. intricate into it where you can step back and, you know, um, the one thing, the one thing I do, the one thing I always remind myself, I have this like stat up. So when I'm listening to a final mix and master, I'm, I'm obviously crazy because I'll, I'll listen a hundred million times and have a hundred notes and you'll, I'll be listening on like the, the highest end headphones or monitors yeah. you can listen to. And I seen some like stat where it says, um, like 72% of yeah. DIP listeners listen on like the white Apple headphones. Yeah. <laughs> so I remind myself, I look at the article and I have it screenshot and I say, I say, Takis, you are listening in $400 headphones on the best monitors available. 
listen in white Apple headphones because 70% of the people that are going to hear this song are going to hear it through there. And then I put in the headphones and I'm just like, oh, it's all the things I heard are completely muffled out in the, yeah. in the actual experience of listening to the song for the average person. So yeah. that's something I try to remind myself too. If I don't, if I get a little too obsessed, the average person's listening on their laptop, their iPhone headphones, uh, in their car speakers that are not booth monitors. Yeah. So, um, I, I try to remind myself that people aren't listening to records or your listeners aren't listening to podcasters like a podcaster. Right. You have to give it up to to how someone is actually going to consume your content. Oh, yeah, exactly. I think that's the hard part is I want to hear it on like my studio monitors and yeah. I want to hear it on my headphones. How many how many people are listening to a podcast yeah. <laughs> on studio monitors? <laughs> With like with foam and, yeah. and just like a perf perfect acoustic room, it's like oh, yeah, people are listening in their in their car. It, it's really you know what's funny about that too is like when we started when we started and kicked this off was there was a conversation about the quality of the podcast, right? Like you listen to some other interview interview podcasts that are out there, and they're like half the fidelity because it's just like oh, it's just two people talking. You don't need that full fidelity. But I'm like, we have opening music, right? And I'm like, I just, I don't want, I don't want it to, I don't, I don't want it to sound and take you out of it and like remind you that it's just like this low fidelity conversation. Um, and, and so a lot put, of your listeners are probably music lovers, so they exactly. might actually pick up on things like that. You know? Yeah, and so and and that's the thing where you get to be like, you know, I get to be the creative and and just be like, no, like it's really important to have like that high fidelity and and you know we're not going to sacrifice, you know. Uh, server costs because mm -hmm. you know um someone you know and in, in in exchange for for that because i'm like that's important to me so mm -hmm. i don't want the to sacrifice the sound but the other thing that that's important too is like i i think also just getting away from the process um and it it's a little bit of a struggle of because inherently like you have the decisions that you want to make in, involved in like all these creative projects and creative business i guess is a better way to say it um, but then there are the, there are the decisions you have to make or, or be a part of that are just part of that process that aren't really like the fun creative part. It's just like the necessary creative part. I think that's the the balance. Yeah. I talk about like, I, I've said this before when you're like an artist, it's like baking a cake for a year where yeah. you're like, where <laughs> if a song is like baking a cake. So basically you either like grow the ingredients, you're literally growing the ingredients yeah. or if you splice, then you're like buying them from the grocery store. Yeah. But but that's different. Then you're baking this cake, you're putting on the icing, you, you've spent a year making this cake. But once the cake is made, yeah, you need other people to package the cake. Yeah. There's other people that have to build the box and that might be a manager, that might be yeah. a record label, that might be um, certain promotional teams. So I will bake the cake and I will be obsessed with every ingredient and everything yeah. that went into that cake. But when the box is made to be built, yeah, I have to let go. I, I made the cake and now it's your turn to put it in a box and ship it out. And then you go on Twitter and everyone throws your cake at the ground. <laughs> <laughs> you go on Twitter and it was like, oh, this cake you you baked for one year, I'm throwing it on the yeah. floor. But but yeah, that's my metaphor for that that I just kind of made up. I love that analogy. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat that over and over again. Um but dude, thank you so much for doing this. Uh it's it's a lot of fun uh chatting and um and I love the fact that we got to talk a little bit about Canada. Um love it. I'm always interested in Canada, so I'll never shy away from a conversation where we get to talk about Canadian things. 
Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on here. It's always cool talking to someone that you could hear that they've been in the music biz and they care about this business. And we could laugh about the absurdity, but we could also be proud of the greatness that is dance music. So I appreciate your time and I really thank you for this opportunity, man. Just a lot of fun to talk to him. Uh, we could have kept going there for a long time. Thank you, Takis, uh, for doing that. Thank you to the team at Armada for helping us set that up. Thank you to my producer, Dale. Thank you to our editor, Steph. You are awesome. Uh, if you don't subscribe to the 128 Podcast, go do that right now. Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tommy West. I'll see you next time. <laughs>